I don't know about you, but I think I'm hardwired to avoid disappointment. For instance, any time in my life that I ever took a test, I always came out saying something like, oh man, I totally failed that. Or best case scenario, I would say like, well, I guess we'll see. Maybe I went okay. I don't think I've ever walked out of a test going, yes, ever in my life. And I've taken a lot of tests. More often than not, it did end up being okay. In fact, in high school, I won several grade 12 academic awards and I made the dean's list every semester of my post-secondary education. But I did fail grade 10 religion. Most of the time, even when I ended up doing really well, it was like I was afraid to let myself hope in order to avoid being disappointed. Have you ever suffered sorrow in your life? Have you been let down by someone? Maybe especially when you were young. Can you still taste that grief, that disappointment? I know I can. I think that many of us are conditioned by our experiences and also by the oppressive forces at work in the world. Racism, sexism, patriarchy, economic oppression, etc. We're conditioned to insulate ourselves from disappointment. We keep our guard up. We know that life is often painful and difficult and often fails to live up to our hopes and our expectations. These things can crush not only hope and joy, but life itself. It can make things seem pretty bleak. I think that's what was really going on with Thomas in our passage for this morning. Thomas is like, nah, can't be. That's not how things work. The empire won and we are toast. I don't dare summon up the hope that what they're saying, what they're all saying could be true. I could get my heart crushed. I don't believe it. And so Jesus pays him a special visit and Thomas, through church history, gets stuck with the nickname Doubting Thomas. I think this is tragically unfair. So let's talk a little bit about doubt and faith and the life of Thomas. Do you remember where we saw Thomas recently? It was a few weeks ago in John chapter 11 when Jesus was summoned back to Mary and Martha's house because of Lazarus. The disciples were all like, yeah, they want to kill you there in Judea. Not a good idea. But what do we hear from Thomas? He's like, come on, let us go so we may also die with him. That's Thomas, a person of courage and action. 
And there's another place that we see Thomas in John's gospel. It's in the 14th chapter, verses 4 to 7. Jesus says, And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Here, Thomas is a guy who's willing to ask questions, to risk the potential embarrassment of admitting that he doesn't understand. Probably most of the people sitting in that room were confused, but they were too afraid to ask the question. The question that draws Jesus out in an explanation that is still so crucial for us today in our reading of this gospel. You know what I'm talking about. When you're sitting there going, okay, I don't get this, but I, it seems like everyone else does, so I'm not gonna say anything because I don't wanna look clueless. See, Thomas cares more about understanding, more about making real sense of things in his own heart and mind, more than he does about how he looks in front of others. Thomas is willing to admit that he doesn't get it so that he can better follow the path that Jesus is describing. After the resurrection and after Jesus' appearance to him and after the Pentecost, when the disciples dispersed near and far in order to spread the word, of Jesus. Legend has it that Thomas traveled all the way to southern India. Either he trekked overland or he hauled himself across the Arabian Peninsula and into a boat and sailed across the Indian Ocean. I looked it up. The distance is almost 5,000 kilometers. And especially given the challenges of primitive traveling in the first century, that is absolutely incredible. Thomas heads out on this long, difficult, dangerous journey, lands among a community of Jews in a completely foreign land, and teaches them the good news of Jesus. To this day, Thomas is considered the father of the church in India and the patron saint of the small Christian population in that country. Eventually, legend has it, Thomas was martyred there. He was killed for his acts of faith. Doesn't sound to me like Doubting Thomas is the most appropriate nickname for the guy. As if, as if somehow he's lacking in faith because of his questions. Questions are essential to knowledge, essential to what you think or believe. To doubt is to ask questions, to admit the possibility that there's more to learn, to confess 
that you don't have all the answers and you may not be sure that there even is an answer. To have doubt is to be honest about the state of the world and the state of your own heart. And there is no shame in that. I would argue that doubt is not the opposite of faith, but the opposite of certainty. And it's essential to faith. If you're so certain that you have nothing else to learn, certain that you know everything there is to know, then you've made a god of yourself. And in my line of work, we call that idolatry. To doubt is to leave yourself open to seeking. It's to reject rigidity and dogma in favor of a heart of exploration and openness, informed by the moments of genuine relationship and meaning that you encounter in this world. So if faith is not the opposite of doubt, then exactly what is faith? Well, Thomas shows us that faith is something you put into practice, not some stack of words that you throw around to prove how righteous or how intellectual you are. Faith is really engagement in the life of the Spirit. Faith is a way of living, a way of believing. If you begin with the open-heartedness created by doubt, then you're really in a great position to go forward in faith. Faith is showing up and trusting that God is there to be found in the midst of that which is good and that which is grievous. Faith is orienting yourself toward the Spirit of God, toward the way of Jesus. It's an active process of continually turning yourself toward God's love and God's justice and God's mercy and God's joy. When you get knocked off that path, it's about dusting yourself off, listening for that still small voice of God and opening your life once again to love and justice and mercy and joy. That task is not easily done alone and it really helps to have community for the journey. And even while we're currently not allowed to be connected in the flesh, we can still be a community and worship together, and learn together, and live out acts of mercy and justice together, and laugh together, and share our lives with one another. Look, if you want to talk through some of this faith and doubt stuff, please reach out. I would be happy to have a conversation or a whole series of conversations with you. And there's a whole bunch of hillsiders, some of whom are in leadership and some of whom who are not, who are really good listeners. And they're people who are willing to talk with you and pray for you. Please reach out and know that you are not alone. We are with you and we love you. 
We are all people on a journey. We believe and we have doubts. We do good and we sin. We are imperfect humans, but also beloved by God. Love and peace, hope and faith. These are the essence of the one we call God. We seek forgiveness and grace from God and from those who we have harmed. Assured of that grace, we are ready to grow again. We yearn for a new way, a new perspective, and a clear path. Though we are full of trust and full of doubt, we are here. Speak to us, God. Continue creating us. Inspire our hearts. Enlighten our minds. Guide our actions. Amen. <laughs>